Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. I'm Katie Federal, the Communications Director for the Sustainable Farming Association. Today we have for you a presentation that our soil health specialist, Jonathan Kilpatrick, who you met last episode, gave on adaptive grazing at a recent field day. He'll bring you through the fundamentals, always keeping in mind the importance of context in grazing management. If you have any questions for Jonathan or our other SFA team members, you can always reach out to us. Find our contact details on our staff page at sfa-mn.org. We're all happy to help. Here's Jonathan. So today uh, I've titled my talk, The Fundamentals of Adaptive Grazing. So I'm gonna to try to cover a lot in a short amount of time. So I'm gonna start a little bit talking about soil health and how that relates to grazing. I'm gonna talk a little bit about measuring and formulating how do we decide how much grass we're gonna give our cattle, calculating dry matter rations in a grazing system, all that good stuff. So as Brittany said, um, with the Sustainable Farming Association, I have a passion for grass farming. I've been grazing livestock since my early teens. I was uh, very blessed to do a internship and apprenticeship at Polyface Farms with uh, Joel Salatin and his family. And since then I've managed multiple different operations around the country. I think I was totaling it up the other day. I've had the ability to graze livestock in about six different states. So I think, I think that's kind of, kind of fun to think back on all those opportunities I've had. So as we get started today, when I was putting this presentation together, I was thinking kind of big picture and I was thinking, so what are we doing when we're grazing livestock? Like what is the 50,000 foot view or the high level view when we're out there moving our livestock around? Like, what are we doing? Anybody want to take a stab at it? <laughs> Killing time. <laughs> Whoa, you get a gold star. Okay. So one way you could think about it is we're transforming a low value resource or grass into a high value resource, a nutrient dense protein, meat or milk, right? We're harvesting solar energy. Grass is the most efficient solar panel and gets better with good grazing management. Our livestock are the tool that we use to allow us to do this. So this is Jonathan Kilpatrick's working definition that is still being refined, taking low value, highly indigestible resources, running them through a four-legged fermentation factory, producing a high protein, nutrient dense milk and meat, while at the same time cycling carbon and biology back into the ecosystem. Or as Joel Salatin, a famous farmer and author, said herbivorous solar conversion lignified carbon sequestration fertilization do with that what you want so what should your goal be as a grazier when you're out there grazing what's your goal like what are you trying to accomplish on the landscape so one of the goals that i think it should be is you're out there to grow more roots now you're going to look at me and say jonathan what in the world i'm trying to grow more grass don't you get it why do i won't care about roots we'll talk about that and why do you want to go more roots you want to build soil aggregate. This should be the number one goal in your farm and ranch. Okay. So the cow, it's a self-propelled energy factory upcycling carbon into protein and biology. Aldo Leupold said, land is not merely soil. It's a function of energy flowing through a circuit of soils, plants, and animals. Okay. Our grazing is just a part of the system, the ecosystem that on what's going out there on the landscape. So I'm going to run through the soil health principles. Um, how many of you are familiar with these? Okay, a few of you. So really, we, we call these the soil health principles, but really these are the principles of a healthy ecosystem. Anywhere you look in nature, you're going to see all five or six of these principles at work. Okay, so we just copy them and we kind of put them into work as we try to um, encourage farmers to build um, soil health in their system. So the first one is soil cover. 
we want to build and maintain vegetative cover or armor on the soil surface. The next one's limit disturbance. We want to move to minimize and eliminate mechanical and chemical soil disturbance. The next one is diversity. We want to increase the diversity of our microbes, livestock, and wildlife and plants on the land. We want to keep a living root, keep a living plant in the soil as long as possible. And my favorite one is integrate livestock. Healthy soils require appropriate livestock or wildlife integration. So when I look at this list as grazers, we check the box on like every single one of these, which is why I think grazing is one of the most powerful forces we can have to regenerate our soils. Okay. Last one is context. We want to make sure we apply all the principles in the context of our operation. We don't want to do what works here in Minnesota and try to take it somewhere down south in Texas. We might have a collapse. We might have an issue or take it to California versus the East Coast or Africa or somewhere else. Okay. So context is super important. Okay, so we're going to run back to eighth grade biology real quick. Photosynthesis, okay? An overview of what's happening with photosynthesis. We have a plant leaf. We have light coming into the plant leaf, carbon dioxide and water. We're producing carbohydrates and oxygen, right? Okay, so what's happening in that photosynthetic process? So this is a microscopic view of a plant root. And this root is leaking exudate. Anybody, everybody familiar with exudates? What a plant exudate. So this is energy from the sun that the plant is sharing with the biology in the soil. And the plant has this great synergistic relationship with the biology. So the plant root cannot get all the nutrients that the plant needs. So it has this little bartering agreement going on with the biology and say, hey, if you'll go out and get me this nutrient, I'll give you some liquid sun. So that's what's going on right here. And biology consume this. And this is super important for building the biology in the soil. About 20% of the carbon fixed by the plant will get slowly leaked out into the soil to feed the biology. This is super important for growing aggregate and um, increasing our soil health. Soil microbes important. Yes, 90% of soil function is mediated by soil microbial activity. Here's a slide here talking about the carbon cycle. This is a little bit bigger overview here of the photosynthetic process, but as you can see, it starts with the sun and it's the plant and the roots, and it comes up all these different levels, all the different things. We call it the soil food web and what it's feeding. And eventually it's feeding our livestock and eventually it's feeding us. Okay. So the carbon cycle is pretty foundational for life, for all of us, really. How many of you are familiar with what a soil aggregate is? A couple of you. So a soil aggregate is an arrangement of sand, silt, and clay, basically the geology of your soil, around soil organic matter held together by biotic glue, which is produced by the biology that's feeding on that, what we saw, that root leaking out. So when I said earlier, the number one goal in your farm or ranch should be to build soil aggregate. Here on the left side of the screen, you can see what plated soil looks like, right? Soil plating is due to compaction. Aggregation is due to good biological function, okay? So the reason I wanted to start with this is it kind of really, really ties into this grazing thing. Okay. We're, what we're doing with our, with our grazing and our livestock is we're harvesting solar energy. We're feeding our soils and that in turn is going to feed us. What is soil function? Soil function is soil health. Soil health is core to forage production, animal performance, and financial viability on your operation. Soil health is about the resiliency or durability of your farm. So what is regenerative or adaptive grazing? If we think back the last 30 to 40 years, there's probably 15 different terms that we can use to describe rotational grazing. We've got 
ultra high stock density grazing, we've got rotational grazing, we've got management intensive grazing, we've now got total grazing, we've got holistic plan grazing, we've got all these terms to basically describe the same thing. So why do we need another term? Well, that wasn't my decision, <laughs> but we, we like to call it adaptive grazing now. And I'll, we'll kind of go through and I'll talk a little bit more why. So on the left side here, we'll see a, a typical continuous grazing system. You know, you kick the animals out in the spring, you come back and get them in the fall and they run out of grass. You'll see down here in the bottom, your manure distribution, you know, it's not super even, um, not the greatest utilization of your pasture, um, you know, leaves a lot to be desired. So then we get to a typical rotational grazing system. You know, you got three or four pastures, you move them around, maybe you move them once a week, maybe you move them every other couple of weeks. It's a, a lot better, um, but you know, we can still move the needle a little bit further and do a little bit better. So then we get over to adaptive grazing. So when we're talking about adaptive grazing, we're talking about moves that are typically one move a day, maybe multiple moves a day, maybe not even moving one a day. Maybe you're taking vacation, you're moving them twice a week or something like that, okay? So we wanna move according to our observations, our needs, our goals, and our objectives, okay? This is, we make our decisions based on the manager making observations about the resources and adjusting accordingly. We vary our paddock size and we build in long recovery periods between grazing events. So let's talk about some terminology we use in grazing. Everybody knows a pasture, it's a grass covered area that livestock graze on. Paddock is a defined subunit of pasture. Stock density, the pounds of livestock per acre. Stocking rate is the demand, is the demand of the animals on the resource or on the landscape. Carrying capacity is the supply of grass that the landscape or the resource can produce for the animals. Overstocking, where demand exceeds supply. Okay, too many animals for the amount of grass that the land can produce. Overgrazing is when we stay too long or come back too soon. A principle to remember is that short graze periods improve animal performance. And another principle to remember is to match your stocking rate and carrying capacity. How often does this change on your, on your operation? So just for example, on that last principle, let's just say you're running 100 stocker animals and your goal is a pound to a pound and a half a gain a day, which probably maybe more like two pounds would be better. Well, so let's say, let's say two pounds. Your goal is 200, two pounds a day on 100 animals. That's 200 pounds of gain a day. If an animal unit is 1,000 pounds, so every five days you're adding another animal unit, right? So in a month, how many animal units are you adding? You're adding six. That's where being adaptive comes in, and that's where adjusting, adjusting your stocking rate and being very careful on how you do that and just keeping, you know, paying attention to that. Okay. So adaptive grazing, it's not a formulaic, it's not a prescription. Our goal as grazers is to mimic nature. It's, we don't have a rigid, fixed, or routine plan where there's a plan but not a prescription. I highly suggest you have a grazing plan, but I also suggest that you hold it loosely. Adjustments are based on manager observations to changing conditions. Multiple resource goals may be addressed at the same time in the same paddock. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower said, in preparing for battle, I've always found that plans are useless, but the planning was indispensable. So take it from a very famous World War II general that the planning part is the most helpful part because you're thinking through all the contingencies, you're building a contingency plan, you're assessing all your risks, and you also can make plans if you have more forage too, which is always a good thing. We also want to, in adaptive grazing, 
we're going to make our observations and adjustments based on the variability. Obviously, weather, seasons, rainfall, temperature, frost, freeze. How many of you can predict now how many inches of rain we're going to get the rest of the year? How about last year? Could you predict that you were going to have a really dry year last year? And could you have predicted that maybe you were going to get some rainfall later in the summer and the fall? We can't. So that's where we get ourselves in trouble as grazers. When we get these plans, we get really rigid on our plans and we, you know, we're, we're going to rotate every 30 days or we're going to come back to the paddock every 30 days. So that's why I'm going to stress today the adaptive part. So hopefully I don't overuse that word. But if you take something away from today, that's what I want you to remember is like the adaptive part. So obviously our topography across your farm is going to change, your soils, your forages, your cropping history. You have a human resources part of this equation as well. Okay, your labor, how many people do you have to do the work? The quality of life that you wanna have. Emergencies and health issues that come up, okay? Maybe there's times when you can't move once a day, and that's okay. That's not what we're trying to push today. We're trying to just show that we can be adaptive as grazers and meet all our, our needs as well. So in a traditional continuous graze pasture, this is maybe an example, you might have one cow-calf pair per three or four acres. Does that sound about right? Is that a typical stopping rate? Maybe that's a little low. Maybe most of the regions I've been in, that's going to be a pretty typical. If you have a 1,200-pound cow and a 400-pound calf, you have 1,600 pounds of animal. If you divide that by three acres, that's 533 pounds per acre of stocking density. We find that we need 40 to 50,000 pounds per acre of animal to see a positive impact on the landscape, to start building soil and moving this needle forward. Another issue we run into um, with a more continuous graze system or not being rotated super frequently is some research done by Kansas State University showed that cows, when they were first moved, and this is on a six-day move, they were consuming between 55 to 6% of their body weight in dry matter when they first went into the paddock. And part of that's because when they left the, the previous paddock down here, they were at 25 to 2% of their dry matter intake, their body intake. So what they were doing is they're gorging themselves when they go in because they're, they're trying to keep up. So when you continue to have this swing, a roller coaster effect, I'll call it, does that say metabolic issues to anybody? I mean, if you're a dairy producer, right, you're going to have some serious ramifications in the bulk tank if you let that happen. Okay, so this is a, maybe a, not the best graph but over here I attempted to show this is more what you're going to see in a daily move okay okay uh next slide here here's another just a list okay day one five and a half to six percent of your body weight all the way down to two two and a half I want to point out the maintenance maintenance ration for a dry cow or dry animal is two to two and a half percent of their body weight in dry matter intake okay so an animal this time of the year that's lactating you're gonna have serious problems right we're going to have to be supplementing feed on the pasture, right? Or we're going to have to be doing something to keep that animal in body condition so we get the breed up we want. We get to keep that calf growing, right? Okay, so just keep that in mind as we go forward. So our goal, our number one goal as a grazer should be to simulate nature. And here you got some pictures of the bison on the plains, or you could substitute bison for elk or your native herbivore choice. Just stick those in there. Our goal should be, in our grazing, simulate nature. Now, what's moving these animals around? We didn't have fences. We didn't have electric fence. We had predators. We had human predators, hunters. We had fires, right? I don't know if I'm missing one. That's the two that I can think of that's moving these animals around. So we want to simulate nature. Here, we've replaced the bison with an English breed cow. Okay, we're basically doing the same thing. There's a couple of pictures, different stock densities of animals working on the land. 
So the impact of grazing on our grassland. Uh, grassland health is maintained by occasional short-term acute disturbance, okay, grazing, followed by adequate recovery. So one point I want to press home today is in the past in the grazing world, we've talked about the time period between grazing events as a rest period, right? So I want you to think about this. If you are going to go to the gym, let's say you go to the gym or you go for a five mile run. You go to the gym, you do your, your two hour workout or whatever, five mile run, you know, you push it really hard. You come home, take your shower, fall asleep on the couch, right? Maybe you're going to take a two hour nap. Are you going to get up and go do that same workout again? You're probably going to wait till you've recovered, right? You're going to wait till you've your muscles are back to normal and you feel like you can go back. So the same thing with your pasture. We we can talk about rest, but that's the difference take, between taking a nap on the couch. How do we know how much rainfall or sunlight or heat units that we're getting between our grazings? We can't really predict that, right? That's something that's going to come based on observation. So we need, to, we need to start talking about recovery in grazing plants and grasses when they're fully recovered, not based on a, a predetermined rest period. Because a lot of times you hear, oh, 30-day rest or 45-day rest or 60-day rest. Well, I know some people in, in North Dakota or they got five to six inches of rainfall in the last two years. They're resting their pastures an average of 18 months, 16, 15 to 18 months between grazings. And I also know some parts of the country, like parts of the of Oklahoma, there are times we get 40 to 50 inches of rain. We could get four to five grazings easily on fully recovered grass if we managed it well, okay? So that's where the adaptive part comes in. So remember, it's not rest, it's recovery. We wanna see those plants recovered and fully back and ready for another grazing event or another workout, I guess we can call it. Grazing is a disruption to the plants in the soil. Disruptions are either positive or negative. Continuous grazing is chronic or negative. Adaptive is acute, the positive. Short-term acute grazing, remember the bison running through the prairies, being chased by the wolves or, or whatever? That's an acute short-term grazing impact. Short-term acute grazing with adequate recovery is a positive disruption. Adequate recovery, in my opinion, is the key to pasture productivity. If you want to grow more grass, you need to recover your pastures and let them fully get back to maturity or whatever stage you decide is what you, where you want to be. So on this slide um, you'll see at 50% use the roots do not stop growing with 50% of their plant removed. So we have this saying in the grazing world and it's a really good place to start. I'm not saying this is what you need to do all the time but there's a very basic beginner phrase and you can start here is take half leave half. Okay you want to take half the plant leave half the plant. Why? Well, we're in the solar energy business, and if we take all of our leaves, what happens to that biological activity we talked about earlier below the soil surface? We don't have some of that stuff happening, right? We don't have that biology being fed. So here you'll see with 70% use, 50% of your roots stop growing for 17 days. With 90% use, 90% of the plant removed, 100% of the roots stop growing for 17 days. Dave Pratt said they are called leaves for a reason. You're supposed to leave some. I know it's kind of corny, but it helps you to remember. It's pretty easy to remember that, okay? Here's another one done by Kansas State here. You can just see the difference in the roots. Here is a short grazing period with the root mass below and a continuous graze with no recovery allowed. And remember, if you're going to grow grass, you've got to have roots, okay? It's very important we have these roots. 
So another thing about taking half, leaving half, is we know that the protein digestible carbs are typically in the top half to the top third of the plant. The lower part of the plant has a lot of lignin, which is what's the structure holding that plant up, okay? So if we're taking half and leaving half, we're taking the best part of the plant anyhow, right? We're gonna leave that bottom half for the biology to feed on. We're gonna leave that bottom half to have cover on the soil surface and the armor, okay? So graze the best and just trample the rest, all right? So here's a question for you. Which of these pictures demonstrates overgrazing? I've kind of hinted on that before a little bit, but we're gonna talk a little bit more about overgrazing now. Anybody have, wanna take a guess? So Derek is correct. None of these pictures actually represent overgrazing. It's a trick question. Make sure you're paying attention. So what is overgrazing? When we talk about overgrazing, we talk about overgrazing as a function of time. It's not having too many livestock. Most people think, oh, it's overgrazing, it's too many livestock. No, it's a function of time. We either stay too long on a pasture or a paddock, or we come back too soon. Overgrazing occurs when a plant that has been grazed is grazed again before regrowth, rebuilding the roots and leaves, the second bite. Regrazing forces the plant to use more energy reserves located in the root. If this continues, the plant is stressed or dies. Short grazing periods minimize regrazing. So remember I said we're in the solar energy business. Okay, if you're a solar producer, how many panels do you want out in your field? As many as possible, right? If you, if you just go out there and take your solar panel, take your solar farm, how much energy are you producing? Right? We need to start thinking about this as grazers. So we are, we're in the solar energy business. If we force that plant, so the, the most damaging thing to a, a grass plant, okay, so livestock goes out there and grazes, takes a bite, and it goes off, maybe a couple days later, that plant has started to you know, grow. Okay, we've got maybe another couple inches of grass shooting up. Maybe it's, it's June and we've got a really fast grass, grass growth period. That animal comes along and takes another tender bite of that. What's gonna happen to that plant? It's severely stressed now because it's pulling from root reserves, some of those carbs that are stored in the roots, it's pulling from its root reserves to put up more growth. And if you come along and you take that second bite, boom, you've just exhausted that plant's reserves potentially. One of the biggest reasons we don't have the diversity in our pastures and our, in our landscapes these days is because of overgrazing. There are some plant species that just cannot tolerate this. And that's why we, especially a lot of our warm season grasses, we don't see a lot of these anymore because of the overgrazing. If you look at your yard, there are certain species of grass that are bred to take that abuse, mowing it once or twice a week, a week or whatever, spraying it, kids running on it, all that, right? Those are typically not what you want in a pasture system though, okay? so. Diversity is really important, and uh, we've, we've you know, damaged the diversity of our landscapes by overgrazing. Okay, number one mistake, not providing adequate pasture recovery, which leads to the number two most common mistake, overstocking. Obviously, these two are, mistakes are highly correlated. If you don't provide enough pasture recovery, you don't have enough grass. If you have too many animals, you don't have enough pasture recovery built in. You're, you're overgrazing and you're running, running a quick rotation. Okay, Jonathan, so when should I graze? When's the sward recovered? If you, know, you say I need to build this recovery in there, so when should I go out and graze? So the, the, question, the answer is it really depends. This, this stuff is really contextual, so it's really based on your operation, it's soil type, it's heat units, it's temperature, it's sunlight. There's so many things that go into it. I can't give you a pat answer. You need to go out and graze that at 42 and a half days. It just doesn't work like that. It's, one thing also to remember, is normal is a setting on a dryer, okay? Normal is not what we see out here on the landscape. We have years that are different, okay? 
Recovery duration depends upon your weather, the intensity of your prior grazing event, or the workout for the pasture. So think about recovery in, in terms, I was talking about that high intensity workout you did. What if you had just gone out and uh, walked around your house five times and gone taking your nap? Could you get up from the couch and go and do that five times again? Yeah. Okay. So there's times when we graze things really lightly for a purpose and we can come back sooner. Okay. We can, we can speed up that recovery time. The health and size of the plant root system, the time of the year. We're in a time of year where the daylight hours are decreasing, right? I'm starting to notice it. You get up early in the morning, it's dark outside. Whereas a couple months ago, I could get up at five and on the road and it's sun shining. Okay. So that makes a big difference in our, in our plant recovery plant composition in the pasture and your goals. Avoid determining recovery periods based on the calendar or a set schedule. Focus on plant recovery. Remember, adaptive, your boots are on the ground and you're looking down. So we like to say the grazing sweet spot, if you're gonna try to pick one, um, is gonna be right here in this red oval, okay? Maybe this, this might be full maturity with seed head. This is maybe pre-boot stage right in there. Or on this slide, this, the intersection, the red oval here represents the intersection of optimal characteristics in the grass plant for grazing. Okay. There's so much I want to go into on this slide. I just don't have time. Uh, but um, we'll, we'll talk about this maybe later in the pasture walk. What is the most limiting component for an animal in a grass situation? What is the most? If you had to pick protein, mineral, cellulose, lignin, sugars, what's the most limiting, most, most limiting factor? typically. Energy. We talk a lot about protein and the, the reason we talk a lot about protein, I hope there's no feed salesman in the room, because we can sell protein. Energy is the number one most limiting factor for a grass animal. Okay? So we find that when we graze grass that's between mid and late maturity, we're an optimal intersection for protein, sugars, the, and the carbohydrates in the grass. Okay? This in itself is a two-hour lecture, so we're just going to go on. <laughs> so the optimum spring graze window, on the left side you see an oat plant. It's just starting to stick up some little grains there, just past flag leaf stage. On the right side I'm looking like, I think it's some brome and pollen. That might be about the right time to graze. Okay. The other thing is on those little grains that they haven't gone to grain yet, so if you're in a grass program, you can graze that. It's still going to be in milk stage, so you're going to actually harvest some really good forage off of that, and you're not going to discount yourself from a grass program. Um, so when has the plant recovered? We like to say flag leaf stage, okay? So that's going to be pre-boot. Remember, the plant is going to take all the energy, which is what we want to capture and put into our livestock. We need that energy. The plant, you go too much further into seed head stage, your plant's going to be taking all that energy and putting it into the seed or the grain, right? So we want to make sure we capture that in the leaf if possible. Indicators. To become a good grazier, you need to become a student of your pasture. Whoops. Boots on the ground, eyes down. Again, that's, that's another one from Dave Pratt. Observation. Plant diversity. Is the ground covered? What does the paddock graze two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago look like? Okay, keep notes. So here we got a slide, one of my favorite indicators of what's going on out there. It's cow pie. Anybody want to make some observations about this particular picture and what's, what we can tell from what's going on? What, what observations we can pull off of this? So number one, cows are, cows are cycling forage well. It's a pretty good pie. Okay. The rumen's functioning well. Good consistency. The other thing is, I don't know if you can see it. There's a lot of dung beetle activity. These little holes, those are dung beetles. 
working the pie, pulling that, putting it down below ground. Good microbiology, good biology activity. The other thing I want you to notice, the grass around the pie. What is that telling you? Yes, we left some good soil cover. We left some good armor. We left a good solar panel for the next grazing event. We've got legumes. You can see there's grasses, legumes, there's forbs. There's a whole, there's a really diverse mix here we're grazing, okay? There's probably five to eight observations just on this little picture, okay? So become a student of your pasture and learn to make observations. So other thing with adaptive grazing, we want to change our grazing pattern, our paddock shape. A square paddock, we find that you get better forage utilization. A long rectangle is increased trample, okay? So if, you, if your goal is to trample forage, maybe you're grazing some highly mature forage that's maybe gone to seed, you're going to harvest 30 to 40% of that. You want to probably focus on making long rectangles versus square paddocks. Earlier in the spring, maybe just after turnout, you're going to want to make square paddocks. Increase your utilization, graze it really lightly, and keep moving. Okay? So here's some examples. You can do little squares. You can do little... These are water points. That's what those are supposed to represent. And you've got triangles there. So let's talk about facilitating herd effect. We have this thing called herd effect. It's a short-term high-density congregation of livestock on a planned location to facilitate vegetation management. The larger the herd, the better it works. Think back to those, those massive herds of bison. I can't imagine what kind of herd effect they would have had on the prairies. That would have been pretty cool to see. So examples of how we make this work. It's a mineral feeder in a thistle patch. It's a high-quality hay bale placed in a willow patch. If you want to get rid of some willow shrubs or get rid of some thistles, you can unroll bales on some gravelly ground where you're not growing much grass to try to put some more nutrients down. It's a paddock within a paddock. So we use this paddock within a paddock. Here's the, the green line is maybe you've been grazing here on these, these three paddocks and you're going out to set up another fence. Maybe you're using some temporary electric fencing like I've got over there. You can set up a strip. You can go about your go about your chores, maybe you set up the next fence, maybe you set up another fence, set up your water, move your mineral, and you can let the livestock have an increased herd effect on that one strip. You can roll that up and go home and let them have the whole paddock, and you've just created a paddock within a paddock, and you can increase your impact on a certain area, and you can manage a resource concern, or you can take care of an issue, maybe some vegetation you don't want. So here's some pictures here. These are from uh, Sherburn National Wildlife Refuge. Two of my coworkers have a grazing lease down there. We're doing, Sustainable Farming Association is doing some research along with the University of Minnesota on silvopasture and a lot of different things happening. So here is a before and after, some before and after pictures of some of this herd effect at work here. This is before and that's after. Now a lot of you might look at that and be like, holy cow, that's overgrazing. But remember what we said, overgrazing is a function of time. Those cattle were only in that spot for about six hours or less, I believe it was. Okay? And we use them strategically to control some of these woody species that the, the, the refuge is trying to get under control. Okay? So, I can't imagine, I mean, I don't even think that's going to get grazed this year. So, that's the type of recovery they're going to allow this to happen. Remember, after an acute chronic or acute disturbance, we want to build in that recovery. I don't know exactly what the plan is, but I don't think they're going to graze this spot this year. They're going to just let it recover and see what happens and do some monitoring on what, what happened. Here's another before picture. You can see the white post right there. There's an after picture, okay? So these are the types of things we can use with the, the portable modern fence technology we have. We can do some of these types of management on landscapes. It's really cool. You can use the livestock as a tool. Forget pulling out the brush hog. Forget all this stuff that you can just, you know, spend money on. Use your livestock to do this stuff. 
Here's another after picture. I believe they used a salt block right there and some shade maybe in the middle of the day to create this effect. So a lot of people say, well, cows don't eat trees and brush. Well, we have proof that they do sometimes. Okay, so let's talk about estimating paddock size. So if we're gonna go to a daily move, rather than just kicking the livestock out in the pasture or whatever, we have to be, start calibrating what you call our grazer's eye. So we have to start with estimating the dry matter needs of our herd, what the needs, so remember the demand of the stocking rate, and then we gotta figure out how to estimate what the carrying capacity or the supply of the forage is out there. So a number we like to use, first of all, everybody familiar with dry matter? Everybody knows what dry matter is? So if you take a, some grass and you take all the water out, what's left is dry matter. So we use that for formulating rations. We use that for TMR, for feedlot. We formulate on a dry matter basis rather because the water dilutes obviously the nutrients. So, so for our example today, three and a half percent of body weight on a cow is typically what we're gonna use for, for formulating this stuff. And we're gonna say for ease, we're gonna have a thousand pound cow. So in our example herd, we have 15 cows at 1,000 pounds. That's 15,000 pounds of cows. We have 12 calves at 200 pounds a piece, 2,400 pounds of calves for a total herd weight of 17,400 pounds. Does that all make sense? Okay. Um, so if you multiply that by 3.5%, just over 600 pounds of dry matter required for that herd on a daily basis. Okay. So the next thing we're gonna do, and hopefully I'll have some time in the pasture walk to do this, it's kinda hard to do it up here, is we're gonna estimate the stand density. Here's a chart here, um, based on a 10 inch forage height, the stand density, and we'll talk about that out in the field, how to calculate that, the forage dry matter per acre inch. So this is how much many pounds per inch per acre is out there, and then your total forage dry matter per acre, okay? so. If we gonna, we're gonna say in our example, our forage height is 16 inches. Our dry matter per acre inch is 150 pounds per acre inch. So if you multiply 16 by 150, you get 2,400 pounds of dry matter per acre, right? But we said earlier, we're gonna take half of that and we're gonna leave half of that. So we're gonna have 1,200 pounds of dry matter available for our herd to graze. So you're gonna divide the herd demand, which is 609 pounds, by the amount available, and you're gonna come up with a paddock size of just over an acre a day. That's what they need to supply their dry matter needs. Now, I want you to realize this is gonna vary. This is just an example. Depending on the class of livestock, remember dry cows don't need as much. It depends on your soil health, the bricks, all this other stuff. So just keep that in mind as we go through this. So in essence, you need 22,000 or so square feet per day. If you do a square paddock, it's about 148 feet square or a long rectangular paddock at 75 feet by 300. It'll be about a half an acre. So we can use the paddock subdivision to increase that stock density and that pounds per acre we talked about earlier. So at uh, one daily move on a half an acre, at about 35,000 pounds per acre of livestock, okay? If you just split that half acre in half and you do two moves a day, we're jump up to just about 70,000 pounds an acre. Three paddocks a day is just over 100,000 pounds five paddocks a day is on about 175,000 pounds of animal impact per acre. Remember what we said we needed to start seeing positive impact between 40 and 50,000 pounds. Okay. So we can easily do that just with two moves a day on this herd. 
So let's do another example here. We've got 25 cows at 1,250 pounds a piece for 31,250 pounds of cattle. We had a really good breed up in a really good calving season because we've got 25 calves at 300 pounds, so 7,500 pounds of calves for 38,750 pounds of cattle total. All right, times that by the 3.5%, we're at 1,356 pounds of dry matter needed for this herd per day. We're at, 24, we're at 20 inches of forage height, 150 pounds per acre inch, 3,000 pounds per acre of dry matter. We take that in half, 1,500 pounds. You determine your paddock size, you divide the pounds of animal by the pounds of, or the pounds of dry matter available, you come up to just under an acre needed for this herd, 0.9. And there's a couple figures if you want to do square versus long rectangular paddocks. So you can get an idea of what we're talking about here. On your stock density side of things, you're going to be at 42,000 pounds. So you're right inside that window of what we want to see for positive impact with this herd. Just under an acre a day. Two times a day, you're at 85,000. Three times a day, 127,000. And so on and so forth. So what does that look like? Well, here if you start on the top right, this is 100,000 pounds per acre. 250,000 pounds per acre. 500,000 pounds per acre, 1 million pounds of livestock impact per acre. Now, before you go away from here and you're like, oh my gosh, like that is, I just can't do that. Let me just be clear. This is not something you want to do every day, all day long, all year long. Okay. Remember adaptive. I guarantee you that some of these herds are probably just getting moved once a day and certain times of the year. And I guarantee you that when the owners want to go fishing, they probably just kicked them out in a five day paddock and left. Okay. That kind of stuff does happen, but this is a really good tool we can use different times of the year, okay? So just to give your, just kind of make, start your wheels turning and kind of get you thinking. The higher the density, the greater the positive impact. We have better manure distribution, forage utilization, increase in soil organic matter, water holding capacity, soil micro populations, plant diversity, forage quality, forage production, herd performance, and the best one is the decrease in input costs. All right, so in trampling, you're going to feed the soil livestock or your soil microbes. You can trample that tall forage. That's kind of what that looks like. Okay, which soil here would you want on your farm? Left or right? Left. So these soil samples were taken in Manitoba, Canada. The one on the right was after a single season of moving every two days. The one on the left was multiple daily moves. And I got to thank Gabe Brown for this slide. This is the impact of grazing on your soil. And you can already see some aggregate being formed right there. Okay, let's talk quickly about bricks. What's bricks? Bricks is dissolved plant solids, sugars, minerals, proteins, all the good stuff that we want to feed our livestock. We measure with that refractometer. I'm hoping to be able to have some time on the pasture walk. I can show you how to do that if you all would like. Bricks equals nutrition, increased plant pest and disease tolerance, and drought resistance. Higher plant bricks, this is one thing you got to remember. Result of building soil carbon and soil microbial populations from regenerative grazing. So this uh, data is based on a 20 year study done by Dr. Allen Williams. He collected data all over the country and you can see here at 1% bricks, you get an average daily gain or ADG of just over half a pound a day. If you get up here in the 19 to 21%, you're kind of starting to plateau at about just over three pounds a day. How many of us would like to be having cattle that gain three pounds a day on just grass? Me. So here's another study they did, a bunch of different states, single season forage bricks impact adaptive grazing versus conventional grazing. The yellow is the conventional, the AMP or the adaptive multi-paddock grazing is the green. You can see here real quick, 4% across the board is pretty average on the conventional. 
we have an average of probably seven, so three points. One point I want to make on the bricks, at one to three percent bricks, your cattle need about four percent dry matter. That's their need. When your bricks is up in that 13 to 16 percent because the increased nutrient profile of your grass, your cow's dry matter needs are only at three percent. So in effect, if you increase your bricks to those levels, you bought yourself another quarter of your farm without even buying it, okay? Because you can increase your stocking rate. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Your dry matter needs of your cattle have come down because the nutrient profile of that grass is so rich, you can now go get more cows and you don't even have to buy another farm. That gets me excited. I'm gonna skip this for time. Uh, modern watering, with modern water, watering infrastructure, and modern fence technology, which I've got a little bit displayed over here. I'm not going to go through it in detail right now. If anybody has questions, I would love to have a conversation, but I just felt like we'll do that later. So portable, low-cost, modern electric fence technology and the watering solutions that we have. There's an example of some posts. That's how we implement this adaptive grazing, okay? A couple different examples of posts. Everybody's got their favorites, just like we all have different pairs of shoes and brands of shoes that we like to wear and they work for us. And the reels, this is what holds our conductor. It carries the current. It's a psychological barrier to control these animals. Critical fence requirements. You want to match your wire spacing to the class of animal. Maintain at least 7,000 volts in your fence if possible. A minimum of 4,000. More is better. Use at least three ground rods. The most common issue with electric fence is lack of, is lack of grounding. Test your fence with a digital voltmeter and train your animals before you start using electric fence. When should we move cattle? One time a day, noon to 5 p.m. Okay, the bricks is highest in the afternoon. Why is that? Because as that sun comes up and starts beaming down on those, that solar panel, it's pulling that, those sugars out of the roots. They go down the roots at night and they come back up. Okay, it's a process that happens every day. The other thing is heat mitigation. When animals ruminate, they produce a lot of heat. When do, you wanting, when do you want them to produce all that heat? Do you want them to do it in the middle of the day on a hot summer day or do you want to do, them, do it at night when it's cooler? There's also a trick in the winter when it's cold, feed your animals at night. They're gonna keep themselves warmer. So, in summary, adaptive grazing management. We wanna alternate stock density. We don't always wanna do a million pounds per acre and we don't always wanna do 50,000. We wanna simulate nature. Do not move through rotation in the same pattern. Alternate the height when the plants are grazed. Alternate the length of the recovery period. Maybe you wanna take a three hour nap on the couch versus the two hour nap. Alternate the time of the year grazed. Begin in a different paddock every year and keep records, have a plan. Don't ho hold your plan loosely, but have a plan. It's a really good process. Grazing manage management is about getting the animals to the right paddock at the right time for the right reason. And if you can accomplish that, you're a master grazer. But even those of us with a lot of experience know that that's very difficult to do. Uh, last thing I wanna leave you with is uh, poet Jonathan Swift said this, whoever could make two ears of corn or two blades of grass grow upon a spot of ground where only one grew before would deserve better of mankind and do more essential service to his country than the whole race of politicians put together. The reason I get so excited about grazing is because this is what we have the ability to do with adaptive grazing. We can make more grass grow on our land, we can increase the profits and we increase our soil health and nutrient density of our food. Thank you very much for having me. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider supporting us by making a donation or becoming a member at sfa-mn.org. Thanks for listening.